The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou hast prepared table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's look at it more closely and see what's involved. I have a special memory attached to this. Now, this is very easy tonight. There's no, uh, no blanks to fill in, no PowerPoint. We're old school this evening. And so what space you have on there, you can, you can fill it in. If you get a thought, you get something that you want to bring up a little later on with regard to your involvement with Psalm 23. Uh, years ago, how many of you remember Larry Hauser? Remember Larry? Ah, most of you do. Larry, uh, I recall going through this. It may have been 1993, uh, because I remember quite vividly the story he told in connection with the psalm. That now Larry was not much of a talker in terms of you know in a in a meeting like this, but he was privately, and he was a Vietnam vet. And he told us that the group where we were looking through the psalm, that he was out on patrol one night with his unit. And they got into a situation where they were completely surrounded by Viet Cong. And they had to lie there in utter silence. And they could hear the Viet Cong around them. But they, therefore, were just having to play it really, really quiet. And Larry said, he went through Psalm 23. He went through it carefully and to himself. And Larry found great repose and quietness and calmness by going through that psalm. I don't know many situations in life that could be a bit more stressful and straining than that kind of thing, knowing that there is someone just a few feet away from you who would just riddle your body with bullets, and you're just lying there hoping that no noise alerts the enemies. That's why it has been said that this psalm is especially for those who are experiencing upheaval in life. Take your pick. Children who are rebelling, in a home in turmoil, conflict, anxieties. You're in a very hostile workplace that a long-standing relationship is broken up, not what it was. 
the shadows of death over your path. It was about a year ago, wasn't it, dear, that we were going through just that valley of the shadow of death right at this time. Beth was. Well, that's this psalm. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of background on this psalm. I'm going to add a couple of three things to what you have in front of you there on the notes. That this psalm has been called the pearl of the psalms. I guess if you liken the psalms to some kind of a necklace, some ornamentation, you've got this lush, beautiful pearl that sits accentuated. And that this psalm is for encouragement and to have a stabilizing and authentically sedating effect Upon us when we're in a very troublesome time. And the premise of the whole psalm then is that we were made for a relationship with God. And this is the way in which it works out. This is what Augustine, the great theologian, third century said, fourth century. O God, thou hast made us for thyself. And our souls are restless, searching till they find their rest in thee. That's this psalm. Now, most believe that this this psalm, it's attributed, David wrote it. But it was written by someone who's acquainted with hardships. So this is not a, a young shepherd boy, which David had been. But this is someone who's been through hardships. He's faced all kinds of dangers. He's had brushes with death. There's been grief. There's been loss, disappointment, pressures, responsibility. And some have put it that this is the song of the old shepherd. (laughs) The song of the old shepherd. And so here here are the spirit-directed musings of an informed and experienced reflection upon a mature judgment that's born out of a long life. I don't claim to have the wisdom David had, but I can say that living the longer you live and all things being equal, you do gain some understanding That's quite valuable. It's one of the perks that go with the time of life when your bodily strengths begin to abandon you. It works that way. can work that way. Um, Let me say something briefly about its relationship since we're going through the Psalms. And Ed did Psalm 22 two weeks ago. That this Psalm is connected with 22 and 24. So they... It's of a trilogy. Psalm 22, you can see the person of Christ as the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11, who gives his life for the sheep. Those of you who were here that night, you remember the, 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 the impact of Psalm 22. In Psalm 23, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. Hebrews 
13, 20, 21. And then in Psalm 24, we can see Christ as the chief shepherd. And when the chief, I'm quoting here, Psalm uh, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive, excuse me, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. I think that's a, that's a very helpful uh, connection in these Psalms because the Psalms do lead us to Christ. Now, I want to do this briefly without, uh, I know my limited time. I think word came to me that I had 25 minutes, so I've got a little bit of a straitjacket that I'm going to try to honor. But I think it would be helpful to say a couple of things about shepherd and a sheep, the sheep. So let me just, just a little background so I help you. I got a, a volume out of my library and read up on sheep this afternoon. As a result, I know a little bit more about sheep than probably some of you do here tonight. But that is only because I read it and we're not going to use it because it's, some of it would be useless. The different kinds of sheep, where they came from. Uh, let me just go with what I've got here. The word shepherd used here is used as a metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a metaphor. What's a metaphor? The Bible's full of them. It's a powerful figure of speech. It's, it's a comparative kind of figure of speech. The word metaphor means to carry over, to transfer. So when you use a metaphor, it's an implied comparison. So the shepherd here represents God. Secondly, the shepherd was very close to his sheep, tight, really tight. Loves the sheep, John 10 and verse 11. Willing to die for the sheep. Put his life on them. David said he did. You remember his resume as a shepherd? I took care of a bear and a lion. I would tell you, the Bible, he just said that. And he, Wait a minute. I mean, what a job description or a, what a resume. Was, have you seen a lion <laughs> and, a, and a bear? Okay, David said God. He, he was willing apparently to put his life on the line in doing such. The shepherd is aware of the limitations and nature of the sheep. He knows the sheep. That would be us. He knows you. We're the woolies. And he knows you. He knows our personality. He made us. He wove us in the womb. He knows your weaknesses and strengths and personality. Got every hair on your head numbered. And... He knows us through and through. Four, the shepherd. He must have an intimate knowledge of the, or did I say he, he's aware of the limitations and nature of the sheep? I hope I said it that way. And he, he must have, the shepherd must have an intimate knowledge of the sheep. And five, it's a continual job. It's not punch in at a how are you doing? Checking in at 7 in the morning. Okay, I'm through. I'm out of here. And then he's gone. Not like that. It's a day and night thing, living among them. So that's the shepherd. Now that should give us some a little better sense of what's going on here and why the psalmist David compares God to a shepherd. All right, let me say just five things about sheep. And I could ask you all to go, bah! Because this is where we come in. 
Sheep easily go astray. We don't have good GPS systems. Isaiah 53, 6. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep are dumb, dirty, timid, defenseless. They, which, by the way, I tried to think about mascots and teams. I don't know of any. Just think, Georgia Tech sheep. Would that work, Frank? No, it wouldn't work. The, the, Georgia sheep. Can you imagine what you, the public relations challenge that would be for your favorite schools and your mascots, the sheep? <laughs> that, uh, what would be? Well, anyway. Uh, sheep are most vulnerable when they're separated from the shepherd. Numbers 27, 17. You, you get between the sheep and the shepherd and there is this all kind of insecurity lack of confidence. Sheep are in constant need of guidance and care. They're high maintenance. And this really makes things bad. When sheep are in danger, they can't go, bah! You know what happens? They go dumb. Don't make any noise. No sound. So... Okay, uh oh, they're all quiet. Something must be wrong. It's just kind of a reverse of what we, we would think. And with that said, let's walk through this psalm. And you'll notice that though I've broken it out into three movements. Verse one, three, verse four, verse five and six. Though some break it into two parts. The verses one to three where a one to four, rather, would be the shepherd and the sheep, the relationship between them, how he cares for his sheep. But in verses five and six, others would see, some interpreters would see, that's not describing so much, it's not describing the shepherd's relation to the sheep and caring for them, but a host who cares for a guest. And that host caring for the guest is a very, very real, down-to-earth, uh, uh, factual issue in the Middle East. You know, when you, when someone took you in as a guest, you're protected. Even if they may have been an unsavory kind of person, if you're their guest, they're on the line for you. Hospitality, big. So that's the way some see that uh, I'll just, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table for me. We'll come to that. Now, let's go through it. First of all, I see the shepherd's provision for the sheep in verse 1. What does he do? He provides a relationship. That's the very first issue. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, actually, there's no verb in the Hebrew here. The Lord, my shepherd, which accentuates this relationship. So here's the relationship that he has. It's fascinating, and I'll just do a click, 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 click here to show you how this picture of the sheep and the shepherd go through the scriptures. You know, in Matthew 9 and 36, sheep-shepherd relationship, Israel was said by Jesus to be sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. 
And according to Luke 15 and 6, the nature of Christ's mission was to find lost sheep. According to Matthew 15 and 31, Jesus one day will separate the sheep from the goats in judgment. And in 1 Peter 2, 25, Jesus is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. It's the relation of Christ to us now that we are his. That we, he's committed to us. So, the Lord is my shepherd. By the way, can you say that? Is he yours? Do you know him? That would be the prerequisite for everything else here. All right. Then he says, therefore, I shall not want. I shall not lack. That is setting up, I think, a topical statement for the rest of the psalm is going to really work off. So it's a bit of a header as it leads off the psalm. And as some put it, this is a theme statement right at the beginning. So the rest of Psalm 23 is the application of I shall not want. And what is the, what is the focus here is contentedness. That doesn't mean that God just gives me carte blanche for whatever, like life is one great big shopping spree. But rather, it's what I lack, and the Lord knows us. See, left to themselves, sheep lack everything. And therefore, for what really counts, what I really need, the shepherd sees to it that we get it. And that David isn't saying here that the child of God will never experience lack or need. There will be deprivation at times. David experienced some poverty and hardship. But what this is, it's a reference to a more abundant life to which we've been called in relation to God. There is this work of God within us to so dispose us, no matter what the circumstance, especially through hardships, troubles, uh, anxieties, questions, ang- separation anxiety. Those kinds of things. But he's saying that there's really no true content outside of Christ. And then, verse 2, the shepherd then provides nourishment for growth. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, lush, verdant green. This has been one of the best springs and early summers as far as greenery, greening up everything that I can remember. It's just the rains keep coming at the right time. Do you notice that? And how I look out my window sometimes and it's almost like somebody's painted everything really brilliantly green. Because I guess I think back to those drought times when you look out at your yard and it's just kind of sick looking. Brown and hard and crisp. A lot of dirt showing. But I look out there in my yard now. And God's my gardener. I don't do much for my yard. It's <laughs> He waters it and takes care of it. And it just, I don't know, it's just so... And for sheep, 
Sheep to be in that kind of place in a meadow where there's plenty of grass. Now, you know, of course, sheep, they do love to eat. You know, the old Western conflict between the sheep herders and the cattlemen was that the cattlemen didn't like the sheep herders because the sheep, they'll eat the grass. They sure will. They stay on it long enough. They eat it all. I mean, they just, they go down to the roots. But here is describing a lush source of food. And he leads me beside quiet waters, still waters, not muddy, churned up. It's a watering place. It's like an oasis. And then he adds to that, he restores my soul. So probably what he's describing here in the life of a sheep is that it's probably noontime. It's in the heat of the day. And the sheep are lying down. And the emphasis then is on getting the sheep to a resting place so they don't get out in the heat and get, you know, get overheated. I mean, after all, how would you like to wear one of their coats in the heat? And uh, the, the shepherd provides food for the sheep. He gives spiritual nourishment through his word. The, this is the, the milk of the word, which babies long for, according to First Peter. And so then our soul is restored as we feed on him. The word nourishes us. And Psalm 119, this is the psalmist saying there in 131, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I long for thy commandments. You know, you would read the psalmist and the way his affection for the commandments of God. Now, he's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, which sadly some of us may tend to kind of, you know, you compare it off with the rest of the scriptures. You might kind of yawn your way through the narratives. But David's, oh, he's just over the top. And, oh, your commandments, I love them. I they're like Honey and honeycomb, just so sweet. He's just likening it to the, the sugar. You love sugar. Oh, a bowl of ice cream. Oh, peaches, peach ice cream, and then put sliced peaches on it. And so, and well, David had his version of this thinking. He said, This is the way your word is the word of God that to you, to me. Is it? Is it something that it's, is not interesting and not satisfying? That's not good. It's not the way it's designed to be. So it's through his word that we're restored by turning from evil and turning to good. You see, there is a premise here. It's not some kind of magic that you just thread the truth through your mind. It's not of a stringer on the TV in the news. Just, you know, but no, it's, it's informing. It's changing. It's transforming. It's feeding our and in directing our motives. It gets us uh, things in perspective. It enables us to think and gives us a filter. How to filter out things that come to us and So is the word. So the shepherd then, according to verse 3, let's get there. 
The shepherd provides direction in life. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So the shepherd, the the sheep need guidance. They got to know where to go. And the shepherd gives that. They can't, sheep can't tell a safe road from one that leads to death. They're dumb. They're not savvy. They're not smart. Don't confuse sheep with dogs. Dogs fascinate me. They can be a lot of trouble, but they're, you know, they can really be intelligent things. And they can, well, let's don't get off into dogs. Let's stay with the sheep. But the sheep aren't so blessed. And so the shepherd, he knows the trails. And here the psalmist is saying that he is putting his confidence in the invisible hand of God's providence. Lord, you rule over my life. And what is coming to me in my life is something that you are orchestrating I may not always understand, I don't understand how it all fits together, but Lord, I know you're in control. We believe this, don't we? Now, I've, we, we recite this truth quite often. And it's the word of God rightly interpreted, see. He guides me in paths of righteousness, so he will be honored, his namesake. And that, so my conduct can either bring shame or honor to God. So as he feeds me through the nourishing power of his truth, the word, then therefore I am going to find my way through difficult situations. Now in David's case, he was actually delivered as he he put his confidence in God. I think of the situation at Calah. And Saul found out where he was and took 3,000 men. And went out to find David. And it was one of those chases where you think, oh, this is, this is it. Remember, we used, some of us used to watch that series years ago, The Fugitive. And it just, every week, oh no, I just got to get out of this. <laughs> that kind of thing. And so here's David's life. But you know what? David has this repose, this serenity. And it says the Lord Got him out of that, and then he went on down, says, to the stronghold. That's probably Masada, that high uh, mesa down there by the Dead Sea. So this is where David's confidence are. Let's look at, let's look at the shepherd's presence. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Now what's this valley of shadow of death? I think here he's referring to these wadis, W-A-D-I. We would say, you've heard the old Western expression, dry gulch. <laughs> these are very deep ravines. Beth and I had a long walk down one a couple of years ago when we were out on a hike. And we it was from just south of Jerusalem. And it actually went all the way down Jericho. We We got... Part of the way that we went on into, but I'm telling you, you look, you could look if you got vertigo issues. If you want to keep looking straight ahead, because right over here, and I'm not exaggerating. If this is the path, I'm 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 on the path right here, right there is about 300 plus feet down, and you look down there, 
And it can be dark. I mean, you know how the shadows work. And think of this when you're down in the ravine. You don't know what the shadows are hiding. Could be a predator. Could be could be bandits. They love those kind of, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It could be a sudden torrential rush of water because they could have a rainstorm way up and then all of a sudden you're... So he says, I don't fear the evil. <laughs> what? For thou art with... It's interesting in the grammar here because now he comes to the second person. He doesn't use the third person here. He, it's you, he says. You are with me and you're my rod and you're my staff now what's the rod and staff this is just david is accentuating emphasizing the fact that god's hand and care over his life when he went through dangerous times was on the one hand he had like a billy club that's what the rod was it was a club or a cudgel and this this word um, Shabbat was something the shepherd could use to beat the brains out of some some critter that was trying to bother the sheep. It was it was a defensive weapon. And then he had the staff, which is this long stick with a crook on the end. And sheep could have a way of getting tangled up. You know, their coat will get caught up in brambles and briars or get in a precipice, dangerous. Just reach the crook out there and pull it back toward him. So what David is describing here is probably what he had to do many a time with his sheep is that he sees God doing essentially two things for him through the rod and the staff. Comfort, you got a protector. You have a protector. And also direction. I'm trusting him for that. Now, I know this may seem like a very small thing, but it's not really. You know, when we go on trips, I find myself always praying for certainly family and children and others. Lord, give us mercies. Sometimes I feel maybe like our ravines or I-75 when high traffic density and you're battling about 10 or 12 semi-tractor trailer trucks and you got people in the outside lane who think they're in the Audubon in Germany and then you get a few crotch jocks who come in with their motorcycles in and out and it's like suddenly you feel like you're in a NASCAR race Lord we'll depend on you for our traveling mercies aren't you thankful for those so it is and so here's comfort in the face of danger I remember this well I was, I guess I was about 19, 18. One of the, I had a job right out of high school. I went up here to Cluett Peabody. It was a shirt factory. Used to be up on Murphy Avenue. It's not there any longer, up in East Point. And I harassed them so much they gave me a job. I had to have a job to go to school, need some money. And I went in there so much that the only thing they had opening was driving a tractor trailer truck. Hey, I was, I'll take it. I'd never driven a tractor trailer truck. And, 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 and then I had it, and it was, it wasn't like long runs where you could just get on the highway. I had to do it in town. Okay, so, um, the guy took me out, 
and let me drive. This was the training time. And I drove from A to B and back. And then the next day I was to show up to work and to drive. I'm telling you, I was petrified. I'm a good, first of all, he didn't even show me how to back the thing up. You understand that if you, you know, you gotta do it the opposite, you gotta make your brain work the opposite way than you think it should be to keep it from jackknifing on you. And, and I, I mean, I was having a very difficult time sleeping. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. Young Christian, feeling my way along, but I knew that, Lord, you're in control. And it's all yours. But it didn't keep me from having a nightmare, though. Uh, so whatever our predicament, we have this. And then he says in the next place that we have the shepherd's presence. Got to finish this out. We have the shepherd's presence. <clears throat> and he gives the benefits of his protection. The shepherd's protection of the sheep. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, here's where it looks like he's got the Lord pictured as a host. Come on in. You got adversaries? I'm taking care of you. And I will do this. He puts food out there. He gives him this olive oil and perfume for the head is a refreshing experience. I think he's speaking of joy. The Lord will take care of me. He'll give joy to me in the presence of adversaries and problems. Um, by the way, Beth and I were both agreed. We voted, and it was two to nothing, that this is the right psalm to be in tonight after what we've just experienced. All this news coming out of the Supreme Court. That's a downer. And what's in our future, which we knew what was in our future wasn't good, but now it's just been highlighted that for Christians, people who are really going to be true to God, some of our difficult, most difficult days may very well be in front of us. You know it, my head with oil. You prepare a table before me in presence of my enemies. We've got enemies. Spring Court's our enemy. I saw one interviewed today. On just happened to catch a bit of it. An interview of a lawyer who I just said, he's an enemy. In the sense that he certainly is not for what the Bible says about marriage. Okay, and then my cup overflows. It just means over the top. He, David, is saying, I got a generous supply from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've got more than I need. Here again is this contentment. You just see it coming up through the song. Contentment, contentment. I can see why Larry Hauser lying out in that, that uh, humid, still night in the jungle and that, those strange voices all around. And contentment. You, you, my cup runs over. And then he tops it all off. Surely goodness and kind, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. <clears throat> this is tov, goodness. And loving kindness, chesed. Ooh, this is a jewel of a word, in the, especially in the Psalms. This Love that God has that is especially directed love toward those who are his. That doesn't mean he doesn't love others. No, no, no. But I can guarantee you, you can identify with this. I walk in a restaurant, and if my children are sitting at a table, or my grandchildren, you know, they got there before we got there, and I walk in, I can guarantee you, 
I have some feelings and some attachment to those faces that I don't have to everybody else. Does that mean I hate everybody else? No. The Lord's, that's chesed. It's for you. From the Lord. Chesed. And I read a story years ago about Harry, uh, Harry Ironside. He was a Bible expositor back in the 30s, 40s, died in 1952. And someone came to him for counsel, a person who was just beset with anxiety and fear, insecurity. He was sure it had gotten so bad that he felt that people were following him. It was that scary. It had gone to pathological dimensions. And Harry Ironside told him, he said, I've got news for you. You do have somebody following you. It's the goodness and loving kindness of God that are always following you. And actually, the language here means overtaking, overwhelming, coming after you. They're following you. Man, ponder that. Savor that thought. Now, I'm going to conclude with, oh, wow. Uh, we started five minutes late, though it was my fault. Can I borrow that five minutes? Thank you. All right. I want to give you in conclusion this, that I came across this. I, I got it from, bless his heart, David Pallison. He's got just a dear article on this. And I think he must have put this together, and it's called the, yeah, he, this is an anti-Psalm 23. For those of you who work better with negatives, you're going to love this. <laughs> Here it is, the anti-Psalm 23. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist, I want to do what I want. And when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility. Shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road. But I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone. Facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I begin to, I I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? 
Well, I, I forgot the part. I should dwell in the house of the Lord forever, but you got it. Will I be alone forever, homeless, free, falling into void? Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. 